Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message, Sodom and Gomorrah, from Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Here's Pastor Joel. We've been in a series in the book of Genesis. If you haven't been with us, that's fine. You'll be able to catch up just fine. If you have been with us this whole time, we're getting to some of the just the best chapters. Today's pretty heavy chapters, but in three weeks, we're going to get to the top of that mountain, and it's going to be uh, just wonderful. Um, so I'd like to begin this morning, if you wouldn't mind. We're going to read from Genesis 19, starting in verse 15. If you wouldn't mind standing as we read God's Word. Genesis 19, starting in verse 15. We're just going to read two verses. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the man seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, gracious, kind, compassionate to him. He, he grabs him by the hand and brought him out and set him outside the city. The Lord's compassion, his mercy doesn't leave us stuck where we are. It changes us, it moves us, it challenges us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, um, it's hard to be challenged, but we pray that your word would be alive and active and would challenge us in areas that we need to be reshaped, Lord, that would heal areas that we, we are hurt in or responding not in the right way. Lord, that you would uh, speak to each one of us right where we are this morning. And I know this, these two chapters are, are heavy and yucky. And Lord, would we be able to see your heart clear through it? Lord, that you're calling people to yourself. You're a God that's full of compassion. So Lord, open our eyes so we can see. Open our ears. Let us hear. And just the next few minutes, Lord, just soften our hearts so we can understand that we can love you even more as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. I, there's the part of the, the sermon that you can say amen. I'm so glad the Lord was compassionate to me when I was lingering in my sin. Amen? Is there an amen? I'm so glad the Lord was merciful and, and kind. Amen? Amen. amen. That's right. Uh, to me, I'm so glad he, he's that way. Uh, but then there, there's just maybe like one or two other people that I'm kind of like, I, I, really, I really think they need to get what they deserve. Um, <laughs> Now, it might just be me, but, but one of those uh, guys, for, for me, was in eighth grade. I uh, went to Dayton Christian School, so he's not going to be here. I don't even know where he's at now. Uh, it was a young man named Aaron Warford. Uh, Aaron Warford, we have a picture of that. Uh, there I am in eighth grade. <laughs> looking good, looking good, picture day. 
uh, and Aaron Warford. So Woodard Warford, we were really close to each other all the time. Uh, Aaron Warford was a little bit bigger uh, than me and a lot of other kids. Uh, he was also a little bit stronger, uh, came from a very well-to-do uh, family, uh, and really liked to show that. So on the recess, we'd go, be walking around on a recess, and he'd often come up and grab my hand and spin me around in circles and then let go of me as I tumbled on the ground. You're laughing, it's sad. As tumbling on the ground in the dirt as he laughs and goes off to the next person that he's going to do that to. Until one day, he's spinning me around and, and I learn about centrifugal force. I planted my foot really hard, which made him not aware of it. All of a sudden, he's the one that spun off and into the ground, right? It makes me like, even thinking about it, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> Little guy, little guy wins. Well, he scraped his knee and was pretty mad and got up and was just about to come after me when one of the, the teachers was there uh, and she stopped him and there was a big smile on her face, right? Because she had seen all this, what would happen and, and kind of like, you know, Aaron Warford, he got what he deserved, right? Here's a bully. He's a meanie. He, he got what he deserved. I mean, for me... When I think about when I mess up or I do something wrong, I want, it's so nice when the Lord gives you compassion. Isn't it? Amen. That's good. But, but when Aaron Warford spins you around and throws you on the ground, you want justice. You want him to get what he deserves. Now, now maybe you have like an Aaron Warford like that. Uh, maybe not. Maybe for you it's that car that drives by you way too fast and cuts you off in the middle, and, and you're like, that's, mm, that's not right. And then when you see him just a little bit further and the cops pulled him over, and you get a little smile, right? He got what he deserved. <laughs> or if his car is overheated, he got what he uh, deserved. Now, for us, we want compassion. Just let me off of the ticket. I know I was speeding, but just have compassion. For the other guy, let's bring in some, some justice. And so this morning, as we're going to wrestle through this, at what point is compassion come over justice, and where is justice over uh, compassion? Uh, how much compassion should you extend to people like Aaron Warford? And where does justice come? Where does he get what he deserves? And in my own, my own life, I think as I'm reflecting on it, uh, the compassion normally ends right about here with me. If people are a little bit worse than me, then I'm like, well, they got what they deserved. I mean, that was their decision. Uh, but for me, I, I just like, Lord, give me compassion. Now, as we come back to our text today, we're going to see uh, the overall picture of God's compassion and how it changes us and challenges our perspective. We're going to see God's compassion changing and challenging our perspective. We come to a very ugly text today in Genesis 18 and 19. Uh, we come to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to tell you, as I'm reading this, it's so easy to judge. This is, uh, these are ugly, wicked, sinful people. And I'm so glad I'm not like them. Uh, oh. <laughs> Right? I mean, I, as we read it today, I, I think you're going to feel your heart doing a little, a little, bit, of, a little bit of that. Boy, it's easy uh, to judge those people. But, but how, how should we think about the wicked people of Sodom? How, how should we respond to those difficult people in our life? What about those people that abuse other people or, or lie or cheat or steal? What's our perspective towards those people? Well, in our story today, God's compassion is going to challenge how we see other people. 
Uh, it's really set up in two scenes, and they couldn't be more uh, opposite. Chapter 18 and chapter 19, uh, we're taking them together because I think they're meant to be seen uh, together. Uh, one's on a mountain, and it's underneath a tree, and the other is in a valley in a city. On a mountain, under a tree, and in a valley in a city. If you've been in the Genesis study, you know those, those pictures or those backdrops are very powerful as they really represent two different places, way on top of the mountain under a tree, uh, really symbolizing, reflecting that, that backdrop of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of, of God. And then the city that's in, in the valley, Babylon, sinfulness. It's, it's uh, one's a blessing and one's a, a cursing. One's really high and one's really low. On the really high one, Abraham, he sees these guests and he welcomes them in and they eat together underneath the, the tree. And the other one, Lot sees guests and welcomes them in and eats with them in his house. They're, they're actually, as we read it, you're going to see there's a lot of uh, similarities. And as we walk through it, right in the middle, there's going to be this dialogue between Abraham and God that's really going to get to the heart of how, if we're on the mountain, how are we supposed to view those people that are in the valley? And how are we supposed to view ourselves even on the mountain? And we'll see that God's compassion changes everyone in this story's perspective. So let's begin with Abraham on a mountain under a tree. And we're really going to see that God's compassion shows you that everything is possible. There is hope out there. So chapter 18, if you want to read along, chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed, excuse me, bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after you may pass on, since you, have, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour. That's a lot of flour. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the half that he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, you might even notice in your Bibles, there might be a footnote under that word hard. It could be translated wonderful, too. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What can't he do? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. 
for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Let's stop right there. I want just for a minute to picture, picture the scene. Uh, because last week we left off and Abraham had been uh, circumcised. Him and all of his family had been circumcised. He'd been given a new name. There's a new beginning for Abraham. And so I wonder if he was just expecting, okay, what's the Lord going to do now? Now that he's restored me, redeemed me, called me out, what's next? So he's sitting at his tent under, under the tree on that mountain, and, and he sees these three people uh, coming. And it's, it's almost the text almost feels like he, he knows them or he recognizes them. Uh, when it says, oh, Lord, it's actually my Lord. And we'll see that again in 19. My Lord. This is personal. He, he knows them. And so, so he says, hey, come into my tent. Stay here with me. You've come to your servant. Like, rest in my tent. A little water be brought out. We'll, we'll wash your feet and we'll, we'll restore you and refresh you for a while. And so they say, okay, we'll, we'll go in. So then he goes quick to Sarah. Quick you got to make all this bread and make it quick. And if you make quick bread, you're making unleavened bread because you're not giving it time uh, to rise. And then he goes out to the herd and he chooses this, this calf that's really good and he gives it to prepare uh, this young man who prepares it and he gives it to his guests. And his guests, as, you, as they're there under the tree on the mountain, these guests are satisfied. And the picture that we have is Abraham is eating and dwelling again with God on a mountain under a tree. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's not only the picture of the garden, but it's also a foreshadowing of another story that you see in Exodus, uh, the story of the Passover. As God, who dwells in this tent with them, is going to... Uh, pass over this house and go down, actually we'll see in the very next chapter, down to Sodom where he brings justice and judgment to the people. But, but for, for Abraham and his family who have been circumcised, who have been given new names, uh, he's dwelling with the Lord under this tree, uh, communing with God again. But something's missing. There's something missing in this story. Uh, so they even ask, and it's a, it's a question that even like harkens back to, to Genesis uh, 3. Hey, where's your, where's your wife, Abraham? Where's, where's she at? She should, be, she should be eating with us. But it's almost as if her, her shame, her guilt, her disbelief, her fear are keeping her from joining in with the Lord. She's, she's hiding in the tent. And so the Lord's like, where's your wife at? Why didn't she come out too? She could, she could come here because this time next year, she's going to have a child. And then the picture in the text is really that, that Sarah's hiding behind the, the tent. She's within earshot. She could have very easily go, oh, I'm right here. I'd love to join you. But she stays back. She stays hidden. And she hears this time next year, you're going to have a, a, a child. And she laughs. It's disbelief. Like, really? We've been over this before. 90 years we've been over this. I can't have, I can't have a child. I, I'm worn out. And, and Abraham, I'm not speaking down to him, but he's old. Like, this guy's old. And she says that little line, shall I have pleasure? Which is a weird line. Uh, and the, the weirdness is, I, I, there's a play in words on Hebrew. 
this, word, this word pleasure is a play on words uh, to the word Eden. She's sitting in the tent as Abraham is out communing with the Lord, eating underneath this tree on a mountain, and she's hidden in the tent and goes, look, I, I haven't been restored. Shall I have Eden again? Is it possible to commune with the Lord again? And, and then she hears, she hears the Lord saying, is anything too hard or, or is anything too wonderful for me? Is there some, is anything, like, can you not imagine the things that I can do? I'm God. I can restore. I can make all things new. Is anything too hard for, for God? And the answer is really no. There's nothing too hard for God. So we come to the end of that first uh, scene. And I just want to take a minute to say, what does that mean for you? Where, where are you at in the story? If nothing is impossible, if God's compassion uh, goes to those who are broken and empty and needy, uh, God's compassion says, there's nothing too hard for me. Well, then for each one of you, uh, for your marriage, it doesn't mean that your marriage is completely ruined forever. God can restore. He can make new. Your sins can be forgiven in your past. You might be able to even actually learn to trust other people again. Is anything too hard for God? He can restore, he can renew, he can redeem. Which means, wherever you're at, it's not over with yet. There's hope in whatever, in whatever situation you're in because of God's compassion coming to you. His compassion changes our perspective. God can do anything he, he wishes. So we can have hope. Well... The guests uh, finish eating with Abraham under the tree, and, and they get up and make their way. They're, they're going somewhere. Uh, Abraham goes, goes with them uh, a little bit out of uh, his, his little tent area, and they start having a conversation as these men are on their way down to Sodom, and uh, I think in the text to Gomorrah as well, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham starts this conversation looking at the wicked city, of Sodom, and, and I think Abraham is asking, how far does God's compassion actually reach? How, how far does God's love and mercy actually extend? To me, of, co of course. Well, I mean, I think even Abraham's like, boy, I gave away my wife, I slept with my handmaid, I've really messed things up, but God is doing a new thing in me, he's called me a new name, I, I'm getting a sign of circumstance, God is doing something, there is hope for me. But for the, for the people of Sodom, and we'll see that God's compassion even actually reaches beyond Abraham, and God's compassion reaches beyond you, and it reaches out to everyone. Let's continue in the story in verse 16. Verse 16, then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. 
And if not, I will know. Let's just pause right there just for a second. It's not that the Lord doesn't know. This isn't like, boy, I've heard some things and I really need to go check it out because I don't really know what's happened. The Lord knows. He knows exactly how wicked they've been. So I think what's happening here is he's like, I want to go down there and give them one more chance. I will go down there and we'll see if the way they've acted is going to continue and they're going to reject and, and hate me. It seems like the compassion of the Lord drives him to go actually to where the broken people are. And you'll see, he goes right to the center. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Let's stop right there. It just goes on, and, and we'll talk about it. There goes this dialogue uh, back and forth from the Lord. But this is a very fascinating scene as well. Because on first glance, if you read it, if you read it before, it appears that like Abraham is bargaining with God to save his family, who are down in Sodom. But that's actually not what's what's happening here. See, Abraham joins these guys on the way out of his town down the mountain to Sodom, and so they're on the mountain looking down. They can probably see the city of Sodom, uh, and he begins to um, uh, talk to them, and they say, "Well, should we include him in on our plan?" So it's like, let's give Abraham the information that he needs of what we're going to be doing. And why, after all? Well, because it's going to be through him that all the nations shall be blessed. So, so they, they tell him, hey, we're, we're going to go down there. There's this injustice that's come up, and uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to go down and, and check it out. We're going, to, we're going to see. We're going to give them a chance to see if they'll repent. And then from this conversation, as it goes on, you'll say this isn't bargaining. So if you read it, it's not, it's not bargaining. There's no back and forth, and the Lord's like, oh, I'll give you that, but I won't give you that. This is actually uh, what, there's a Robert Alter is a commentary, and the way he explained it is that this is a theological exploration, a theological exploration. It's actually Abraham poking at the heart of God going, how far will your compassion go? How, how, how far does it reach? Uh, and you'll see in this even the switch of the questions. So the, the first question that Abraham asks him is actually, uh, hey, you're not going to like wipe away the wicked or the, the righteous with the wicked, right? Just because there's wickedness there, you'll still save those people, right? You'll act justly. I mean, you're God. You're, you're a righteous God. So of course you're going to protect the righteous. But then the question almost like flips around as he begins these scenarios. Uh, then, it, then it becomes, will you save the unrighteous? For 50 righteous. If there's, if there's a group of 50 righteous, will you save all these unrighteous people? And God says, yes. If there's 50 righteous, I'll, I'll do it. 50 righteous people will cover over the unrighteous. And say, okay, well, what about 45? What if, what if there's a smaller group? 45 uh, righteous. Will, they, will, will you use, was that enough to cover over the unrighteous? Is that enough compassion that you have would it cover over? And he says, yes. 
And he says, well, what about 40? God says, yes. What about 30? God says, yes. And it's almost apologetic. He's like, okay, look, I know I'm dust and ashes. I know I can't be uh, asking all these things, but I'm going to ask you again. What about 20? Would, would 20 righteous people, would that cover over the, un, the unrighteous? And the Lord says, yes. He says, okay, one more time, Lord. I'm going to ask you one more time. Lord, would 10 righteous people, would that be enough to cover over the unrighteous? And the Lord's answer is, yes. And then it just stops. Now, you kids in school, you do these sequence things, right? Uh, there's a sequence here and an answer to each of these sequence. There's one missing. Do you know what that one is? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? What about one? What if there was one righteous person? But Abraham actually doesn't ask that. He stops short. And, and, and he's led us right there. He's like stopped short of the gospel. What if there was one righteous person? Would that one righteous person, could, could that one righteous person, could they like cover over the wicked city? And if he would have asked that, I think he would have uncovered the gospel. And God would have said, yes. Just depends on who that one righteous person is. Well, let me, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, Abraham stopped short with his compassion. Okay, ten, but one. That's too much, Lord. He's like, there's, there's people that got to be out of reach of God's compassion. Like, they're just too bad. They're just too, too wicked. Do you have someone in your mind like that? I mean, honestly. In eighth grade, I would have said Aaron Warford. Someone in, in, in your family or your friends or your work that you're like, yeah, I know God's compassion goes everywhere, but, you know, all the way to that guy, he drinks a lot. He's, he's not really nice. And, and so I think God's compassion, it won't go all the way that far. Who, who would never change in your mind? The people that you don't even like. Does God's compassion reach to them? And God would say, yes, it does. Because of one righteous person. But the righteous person is not Abraham. We've seen that in the story. Uh, Abraham has done his own fair share of bad things. Uh, it's almost like, it almost seems like if Lot, if Lot is righteous in the city, would that, would that spare it? But I think that's even why Abraham doesn't go all the way to one. Because he's like, well, then is Lot righteous or not? And, and we're about to read uh, and then summarize, because I don't want to read because it's really yucky. Uh, Lot is not righteous. Now, later on, it'll tell us that he is righteous, but it doesn't tell us how he became righteous, and, I, and that's a whole other theological thing. But the one righteous person, if God would save an entire wicked city on the basis of one righteous person, God's compassion then would, would be that so no one would perish, that everyone would come to know him, to have faith in the one that could rescue him. The gospel is right there for Abraham, and he stops just a little short. That one person can cover over your wickedness and would do that. Well, just hold that thought. We're going to come to the final scene. Uh, chapter 19. 
And this really, this final scene really shows a desperate need for rescue of the broken people. A rescue for the enslaved, the blind, the people who are completely lost. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of, the, of Sodom. And Lot saw them, and he rose to meet them, and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lord, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise up early and go on your way. It sounds almost eerily familiar to 18, doesn't it? They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all of the people to the last man surrounded the house. We're going to stop right there. I want to summarize a lot of what we're going to see, because it really, it's really yucky. Lot, in this story, has a desperate need to be rescued. He is, uh, he's living and found his identity in a city of Sodom that is wicked and rebellious against the Lord. He is about to get what he deserves. These two uh, angels are coming down. Uh, why it's three before and two now, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of theories on. I have a theory, but um, we won't go there. If you're interested, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, he's about to get what he deserves. These two men come down. He, he invites them into his house. He washes their feet. He gives them unleavened bread and a feast. It's oddly familiar to 18, isn't it? As you read it. He, he, even, he greets them. Uh, he falls down. And I think it's even shocking a little bit because we expect the Lord to eat with Abraham on the mountain under the tree. That's the picture. Yes, God and man dwelling together Again, but, but now we see God come off the mountain, go down into this wicked city, and go right into the city and eat with a sinful man. And we think, well, that's not where the Lord should be. He should stay on the mountain. But the angel, even when they come to, they come to Lot, and they even say, hey, we're, we're planning on going to the center square. We want everyone to have this opportunity to repent and believe or show the fruit of their, their heart. There's a custom in ancient times. If you would come as a visitor, you'd come into the, the town square, and you know they really didn't have like a Holiday Inn or Holiday Inn Express. And so you'd go in the middle of the town, and some people would come along through the town and be like, oh, you need a place to stay? Come into my house. You, you, can, you can stay with me, and, and, and I will protect you and, and rescue you. So they were, gonna, they were planning on coming into the center of town to see who, who will invite us in when Lot goes, no, no, you need to come to my house. Come to my house. Come to my, you got to come to my house. Uh, I think he knew. If you stay here, this is going to be bad news. Come to my house. And sure enough, that night, it's getting dark, and all the men, did you catch that? Every single one of them, all the men come to his house. Can you imagine the scene of that? Lot goes out, and it's like, hey, guys, don't, don't, don't do this. And even in this conversation, he calls them brothers. All of a sudden, Lot is like, these are my brothers. We, we have a camaraderie together in, in this city. Uh, Lot has an affection for the city that he's even come back to after he's been rescued. He has an affection for the lifestyle, uh, so much so that he's willing to even give his own daughters 
to these men to satisfy them so that he can stay in this city. He, he's really become one of them. His, his identity, his behavior, he's blind. He's, he's caught. And so the angels, even as he's talking to all these people, brothers, brothers, come, let's reason together. And these angels even pull him back into the house, close the door, and strike blindness on all of the people. So then all this, this mob of people are groping at the door all night. In men's Bible study, it said it's just like those zombie movies. <laughs> the whole group of people just groping at the door all, all night long. Can you imagine how scary that would be? how long the night would have been. And then when morning comes, the angels urge a lot. Hey, take you and your family, everyone that you can protect in this thing, and get out of the city. There's a judgment coming. Because of the unrighteousness, because of the rebellion, because of the wickedness, God's holiness is coming. Save yourself. Be, be rescued. Get out of the city. Take those with you. Go, go, go. And what does it say in our story? But this one short little line and Lot lingers. But, I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, I, I kind of, it's home to me. I mean, these are my brothers and sisters. This is where I live. He lingers. Should I go or not? And as you read the story, and it says Lot lingers, you just like, what are you doing, Lot? Judgment's coming. Save yourself. Get out of there. What are you, blind? But he's stuck. He's stuck in his sin, his addiction. So the angel actually has to grab his hand and pull him out of the city. Him and his daughters and his wife. Come on, you got to get out of here. And rescues them. You know, I think uh, there's oftentimes it feels like just our culture, it feels like we're living in a Sodom, doesn't it? There's people all around us that are like in desperate need of compassion and to be rescued. They're blind, they're broken, uh, they're lingering, and judgment's coming. Now, now, for all of us who have given our life to Jesus and we're walking with him and we feel like, yeah, we, okay, we're not perfect. <laughs> we mess up. But we always come back to the mountain underneath that tree and the Lord goes, yeah, I've redeemed you, remember? Like, yes, Lord, thank you so much. Thanks for having compassion with me and, and just patience with me. And it's nice on the mountain. And then we look down in the valley below and we go, well, they kind of <laughs> deserve what they get, don't they? I mean, that's really messed up down there. But they don't have to get what they deserve. God actually comes off the mountain to them to say, would you repent? Would you wake up from your sleep? Would you, would you just have faith enough to get out of the city and let me rescue you? Now, in these two stories... It's the people that invited these guests who are the Lord into their home that are the ones that are, that are saved, that are, are rescued. There's this judgment coming because none of us are holy or righteous. But the one who is righteous uh, like comes to each of those people and goes, can I eat with you? 
Can, can we dwell together? The God of all compassion comes to these broken people and they invite him in. It reminds me of the very end of the story in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It says this. This is really Jesus going, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, the Lord's compassion, it sent Jesus from a place that was perfect and holy and righteous. And I mean, there was, if you think about the best place ever, that's where Jesus was. And he goes, because of the enslavement and the brokenness of the world below, I'm going to go down right to their middle. I'm going to say, who would eat with me? Who, who would invite me into their life to dwell with them? To give us freedom and forgiveness to rescue us. And believers, if, if that's you this morning, boy, we need to say amen. That is awesome. Thank you, Lord. I cannot believe I do not deserve this. And at the same time, he wants to take us on this walk and say, do you see the brokenness of the world around you? You've got to have compassion for those people. Compassion for the lost and the scared. Even... Even those people that you don't think deserve it. Even Aaron Warford. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.